0: The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker a Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections. and I It's Sunday, 4 directions. o'clock, no and that means around. it's the best hour in radio of the week. It is the friend, victory man. hour. I'm Andrew Hi, Parker, and I want to thank you first, once again, for joining us for another wonderful Sunday of talking politics, Israel, and the law. And I am very excited about our show today. You have heard her on the show a number of times before. We have spirited discussion and debate, and there are a few guests that I enjoy talking with more than our guest today. Second District Congresswoman from the state of Minnesota, and that is Angie Craig. Angie, uh, you know, comes to Congress as somewhat of uh, an anomaly in today's world, that is somebody who truly understands both sides of an equation and analyzes all sides, including ones that she ends up voting on and others that she doesn't. At least she sits and tries and does understand them. She's a businesswoman, and uh, while she is a part of the Democratic caucus and often votes with the Democratic caucus, which is the way the Republican caucus is as well. Uh, And we disagree on a number of issues. We agree on a number of issues. And no matter uh, agree or disagree, we are able to talk through a number of issues. Uh, I love Angie, and I'll tell you that if the two of us were charged with getting the job done and solving problems, I know we could do it. And so hopefully that could translate into Congress. Uh, She's one of those members, though, that can understand uh, the other side's perspective, whether she agrees with it uh, or not in the end. She comes from a uh, slightly leaning Republican uh, district, frankly, and it's one that she initially lost in 2016, you will remember, just by 6,500 votes. And then has come back, and in her most recent election in 2022, won by the widest margin of uh, the three terms that she has been elected to Congress. An amazing victory, a resounding victory, really, by five points. And we welcome her to the Victory Hour, Angie Craig. Hello, Angie.
1: Hey, Andy. It's so good to be back with you. I brought my boots this time, man. Yeah, fabulous. I, I would have worn them, but, you know, I'm on Zoom here. Uh, <laughs> You know, that that was a landslide for the second district yes. over here in 2022, and uh, it, it really is such an honor to be back, and I love sparring with you, by the way.
0: Yeah, um, well, it's and, always and, fun.
1: Uh, it's always fun. Always fun. Thanks for having me back.
0: Absolutely. You know, I want to talk a little bit and give you a chance to talk about the uh, 2022 election. A lot of people had written you off in the election toward the end. uh, The polls were, you know, had your opponent up by uh, a number of percentage points. uh, Yet they were all wrong. And you uh, worked your tail off to the end. And again, a five point victory in such a close district It really wasn't even that close of an election. I also want you to comment on your committee assignments uh, in Congress this time around.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andy. So, you know, keep in mind, too, this last election, we had a third party candidate back on the ballot. You know, it's a tactic that uh, gets deployed against me, but they got over three percent, too. That's right. Thinking about that, it really was just a landslide My poll didn't have me uh, down, just so you know. So clearly a little uh, accurate than the other side. But, yeah, I mean, it was a tough election. I now hold the award, an award no one ever wants, of the most expensive house race in Minnesota history. Wow, Uh,
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, more than $30 million got spent in this last election. And I'll tell you what people – really underestimate uh, about this congressional district. And I love being underestimated, Andy. So you know that about me.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: What people underestimate is, you know, this district is about a third Republican, a third Democrats. But that middle is super independent. And it still is over here. And it's a little bit libertarian. They hated mass mandates. They hated vaccine mandates. But man, when Roe got overturned, they really hated the government, politicians trying to tell them what the hell they should do. And yeah. so, you know, it was an interesting cycle. And I'm proud to be back to the Congress, proud to be back on the Energy and Commerce Committee, the absolute best committee in Congress. Uh, 60% of all this committee, including health care. And uh, I'm back on the ad Committee. So I saw you had my friend. Brad Finstad on recently. Yes. uh, Brad and I are the two Minnesotans who serve on the ad committee. I was just in a hearing with him last week and I was talking to a colleague and I told the colleague that Brad was the best of the worst that we could have said, set, set from the first district. I really like Brad and we're already working together.
0: Well, that's outstanding. You know, the energy committee uh, is such an important committee uh, uh, nowadays and I know that uh, the president is now starting to look at opening some things up in terms of oil production uh, up in Alaska. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of initiatives, priorities for the Energy Committee?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, my number one priority on that committee uh, is not energy, it's health care. And in in, you know, specifically, I was just down at the border with 20 Republican colleagues to really get my uh, firsthand look at the fentanyl crisis in our country. You know, over in Hastings, we've had a number of high-profile fentanyl poisonings in this congressional district, and so Terrific. getting after this issue is a huge priority for me. I've always been an all-of-the-above energy Democrat. You know, I've been unabashedly unapologetic about it. Uh, renewable energy, in particular um, biofuels, ethanol has always been a high priority for me. That won't surprise anybody. Uh, I represent a district that is covered in corn and soybeans. 65% of it is covered in corn and soybeans every single summer. So always been a little bit of an outlier there. Certainly we're transitioning to renewable energy in our country, but I think uh, that uh, we're still going to have you know, a need for every single energy source here for a period of time, uh, and that, you know, I uh, I won't apologize for that.
0: Well, I'll tell you, there it is. Chalk it up. Number one for today's discussion with Angie Craig, agreement between Parker and Craig on all of the above energy policy. Very good to have uh, that vote on the Energy Committee. And, you know, as I say, Angie Craig understands it, understands the importance of it. Today, we're going to talk about Three overarching issues with Congresswoman Angie Craig. One is safety, both safety from foreign actors, uh, our position in the world, but also domestically. Safety, law and order, safety at the border, safety from uh, uh, drugs coming across the border, as Angie just uh, mentioned. We're going to also talk about the economy and touch on free speech and censorship So make sure that you stay with us. It's going to be a spirited discussion and one that I think you all will enjoy. We're going to take a short break. Jot this down. Next week on the Victory Hour, we're going to have a Republican gubernatorial candidate that just lost recently to Governor Tim Walls. That is Dr. Scott Jensen. On the show. A lot has come out regarding COVID. You know that he's been a critic of public policy positions as it relates to COVID. A lot has come out related to it over the last several weeks, and we're going to talk to Dr. Jensen about his perspective on it. So, very timely discussion uh, with the good doctor, and uh, jot it down. He'll be on next week on the Victory Hour. We're talking today to Second District Congresswoman Angie Craig. Make sure to stay with us while we're on this short break. Go to ParkerDK.com, Parker Daniels keyboard, wise counsel winning results. Number one premier law firm, downtown Minneapolis, ParkerDK.com. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Today, we are honored to have one of my favorite guests on the Victory Hour, and that is Congresswoman Angie Craig from the 2nd Congressional District here in the state of Minnesota, uh, Democrat. I always like to have my Democratic friends on the show. They remind me that in 1980, I worked for Ted Kennedy for President of the, Uni- of the United States. Yes, indeed. And... Uh, for many, many years, only voted Democrat, and maybe I'll come back someday. You, know, you don't you never know. I mean, the party's starting to reform itself a little bit <laughs> a little bit at the edges. So as I said on the other sh- side of the break, uh, we're going to talk safety a bit about economy and free speech and censorship. Let's talk about uh, safety first with uh, Angie Craig. Um, let's touch on what, what you already mentioned a little bit, and that is, uh, safety as it relates to, uh, rules regarding what happens at our border, who we allow into the country, who we don't, and whether rules are important or not to have a border. Um, I think most members of Congress on both sides of the aisle believe that to be the case. And it has just become this fight over whether we're going to let the other side get a victory or not. And it depends on who's in the White House. And 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 it really has caused suffering for the American people watching what is happening at our border. What say you, Angie Craig? Well,
1: you know, if you, if you talk to Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari, he'll tell you that, you know, the number one thing we could do to grow our economy in the United States is immigration reform, right? I mean, you talk to businesses here. The number one thing they talk to me about is the need for workforce. You talk to family farmers. That's the number one thing year round workforce, right? And we got really close. We got it across the finish line in 2013. My good friend, Senator Klobuchar and John McCain were doing it together, right? Comprehensive immigration reform, but Exactly what you said is the case now, Andy. Uh, Nobody wants to find any middle ground in this issue. We'd rather use it as a political wedge issue in the next election than actually do anything about it. And, you know, this is one of those examples, too, where, you know, I'm on the bill, uh, was on the bill that essentially said to the Biden administration, don't end Title 42 until you have a plan in place to deal with the mass of migrants that would come over the border. Look, we need to make sure we're vetting people who, who should come in, who should stay out. That, you know, if it takes seven years to get through the process of immigrating to America, then of course people are gonna try to come around the legal immigration process. So, you know, part of the challenge and just frustration I have is folks would rather use this as a political wedge issue then actually deal with the issue. And it really is depressing the economic growth of America. And, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence that this is going to change anytime soon. Quite frankly, I maybe had uh, more optimism five or six years ago. But, you know, it seems to be that we're stuck in this perpetual whatever. And, you know, I just went down to the border. I um, got a firsthand look uh, at you know, what's what's happening there. There there have been, you know, some movements by the Biden administration lately that have kind of infuriated uh, some of some of the progressives on immigration. Right. Um, and I, I you know, I, I think that uh, some of these things are exactly the right thing to do. Um, we are going to end Title 42, but we are going to require for migrants to check in uh, to you know these other countries as they're coming across. Uh, again, just like we did in the previous administration. So, you know, it's an interesting uh, debate that is just more politically motivated than anything, Andy, as you described.
0: Well, there is uh, issue number two that we can say there is much agreement, maybe not entirely, but much agreement with Angie Craig. And you can tell from the way Congresswoman Craig talks about issues like this, that she understands and comes first from a sense of business orientation. She's a businesswoman, and we need more of them in Congress, quite frankly. She understands that uh, vetting people at the border is a safety issue for the United States, while she understands that a large open door of immigration is good for the United States. It's good for our economy and for uh, business. And so vetting is important. Streamlining this process is important. And ultimately, safety and security with a big door of immigration is important. And, you know, I I think that uh, the Biden administration should be pushing that. They should not push aside Republicans who really are focused on safety and security issues and should embrace those as part of the overall plan. And uh, I think uh, we can get a, a resolution of it. Speak for a minute, Angie, about uh, what you mentioned uh, in the, uh, at the top of the show or in the first segment, and that is the scourge of fentanyl in this country and the 100,000 deaths a year in this country from this drug that unwittingly People take thinking they're taking something else. Sometimes they know that's what it is, but don't understand the impacts of it. And and they end up overdosing and and dying. And and it's it's often kids, our kids uh, who are the victims of this drug trafficking and the cartels in Mexico.
1: Andy, I'll I'll talk about it and and look, I you know I was disappointed recently. I went down to the border with the healthcare subcommittee. I'm on that subcommittee, and there were about 20 Republicans and only three Democrats who went down there. Now, I, I appreciate that you know, folks, all 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 of us care about fentanyl, right? All of us care about the drug crisis in our communities because you know this drug, such a little bit of it is being you know, laced into Adderall, laced into marijuana. And these kids honestly think they're buying Adderall on Snapchat and they're coming home and they're taking it and they don't wake up. So this is something that I'm trying to follow from Hastings all the way back to the border. But I went down there, Andy, and this is what drives me crazy about when I say the political wedge issue, right? It it was called Biden, the, the name of the committee, Biden's Border Crisis, and my Republican colleagues wanted to talk about migrants, right? Well, look, 97% of the fentanyl coming into this country is coming in through our ports of entry. It is being transported by American citizens. So, you know, fine, let's talk the 3% coming on the backpacks of migrants, if you want, but you're ignoring the problem. So I went down there, honestly, uh, to understand the issue better, but also to call out my colleagues for making this a political wedge issue. I want to know from Customs and Border Protection, the people at the ports of entry, what technology do we need to get you? How can we set up more screenings and not stop the flow of other economic uh, trade items coming into our country to catch more of this fentanyl? Also, because you can get such deadly amounts through such small weights. What do we need to do with the laws in this country? Because a lot of the raw materials for fentanyl, Andy, it's coming in through the U- United States Postal Service or UPS or DHL, the carrier companies. So look, if we're not politicizing the issue, we say, okay, 97% is coming across the border through the ports of entry. How can we catch more of it? How can we stop it? How can we make sure that our laws for distributing fentanyl, for example, Last week in Congress, I voted to permanently schedule fentanyl as a Schedule One drug. It's temporarily today. I was the only Democrat on the committee to vote for the HALT Act because some Democrats don't like the mandatory minimums in that bill. Well, look, if you're distributing fentanyl in my community, I want you to go to jail for a damn long time.
0: There it is. Safety and security. And, you know, Angie Craig knows a bit about safety and security and the need for it. She is a law and order Democrat and, you know, they're law and order Republicans. That doesn't mean you throw justice out the window. Justice has to be the foundation. And Angie Craig fully understands that. But she also understands what it means to be a victim of law and order going awry. Why don't you speak a bit about your recent experience and who this guy was?
1: Yeah, no, I uh I I I'm usually a workhorse member of Congress who kind of keeps my head down and tries to stay out of the national press but uh a, a random guy got on an elevator with me in DC about a month ago and um he decided that he was going to command to go to my apartment and that wasn't going to happen. So uh, I, I knew right then and there it was going to go, whatever was going to go down was going to happen on that elevator, Andy. So I, I fought him off. Uh, he got a nice uh, face full of very hot coffee. Uh, that was about the only weapon I had with me that morning. And um, look, I, I, I'm, I was lucky when I figured out uh, when he got arrested and came to understand that I was his 13th count of assault on his record. You know, this to me was the intersection of mental illness. He's mentally ill of addiction. He was on something. Homelessness, barefoot. I mean, shoeless, you know, and 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 public safety. This guy only got 10 to 30 days in every other count of assault. So
0: in some of them, I understand he was let out entirely
1: not even prosecuted. So look, it's not, it is a contradiction, but it's not to say every single person deserves to be safe and that we shouldn't allow 13 counts of assault before someone does any real time. And he's 26 years old and we failed him from a mental health perspective as a society. We failed him from an addiction perspective and he's on the street. So all of those things can be true at once, yeah. and you can support all of those things at once. And, you know, that's my newfound commitment is just, you know, going back and fighting for all of these things, Andy.
0: Well, you know, I, I saw a quote from you regarding this issue. Um, you know, if you throw somebody in jail for 10 days, what do you think is going to happen? And your quote is, there's your punishment, and we're going to let you right back on the street. What do you think's going to (laughs) happen? And this is the common sense that Angie Craig brings to Congress. Forget about which team or which color she's wearing or anything else. It's the common sense foundational thing, you know, that you would think that's what Minnesotans want. And they have repeatedly... Uh, said that in the 2nd Congressional District, sending Angie Craig back to Congress for her third term. And we'll see how many more terms. We're talking to Angie Craig, 2nd Congressional District here in Minnesota, representative to the U.S. House of Representatives, one of 435 votes. Very... Uh, honored and prestigious position that she holds one of 435 votes on important issues that affect us every day and she's there working working for the second district we're going to take a short break go to parkerdk.com during this short time and we'll be right back to talk a little more about safety and then uh, maybe you want to hear about the economy and what this businesswoman thinks about where we're at How Joe Biden is doing. Stay with us because it's not a long break. We're back. I'm Andrew Parker, and thank you once again for joining us on the Victory Hour, where each week we talk politics, Israel, and the law, and this week we are honored to have as our special guest Second District Congresswoman Angie Craig joining, joining us on the Victory Hour. We were just talking about uh, safety and security, particularly at the border, but also uh, right where we live, Washington, D.C., for Angie Craig, where... Uh, she was confront, confronted by an assailant, and uh, learned later on that, you know, our system of justice isn't working so well because it allows innocent folks walking in the street, our citizens, to be assaulted in such a manner, and we need to we we simply need to do better. In that regard, uh, Angie, what are your thoughts about support? both economic support, but also moral support for police, those on the street that are uh, charged with safety and security for all of us?
1: Well, start with the financial support. I um, funded five new police officers in West St. Paul and South St. Paul here just this year in the congressional district, supported the Dakota County Sheriff's Department with a big award, uh, grant money and Scott County as well. I was just in Scott County, in fact, meeting with the sheriff and touring the jail here this week. Um, so the financial support funding the police, which is exactly what I've been doing uh, over the last uh, three years, four years in Congress. You know, the moral support uh, is really an interesting comment because, you um, You know, I just met with MPPOA. Um, You know that uh, the Minnesota Peace and Police Officers Association actually supported me, publicly endorsed me in uh, my last re-election. And, you know, it's kind of ironic to me when people try to put me in the bucket with other Democrats on some of these issues. It's like, what are you talking about? Do you think MPPOA would have endorsed me for my re-election if I had done anything other than support our local police departments and our state police departments. And it isn't helpful, um, this knee-jerk reaction from politicians, you know, every time there's a, an incident, which, which which are serious. I mean, when we look down at Memphis, what happened down there? And, you know, I, I got my start in journalism in Memphis, by the way, Andy, all those years ago, covering the night cops beat, literally covering the Memphis police department. Uh, when I was 20 something, early twenties. And, you know, we can all look at an incident like that, at a horrible attack like that down in Memphis and say, it's awful. Like the culture of that department must be broken. That's exactly the conversation that I'm having with, you know, Chief Roger New here in Egan when things like that happen. Sheriff Tim Leslie, uh Lou Kennan, uh Joe Lico. You know, those are the conversations is how can we improve policing in our country? But to have this um knee-jerk reaction and throw every police officer under the bus every time an incident happens. You know, I, I fair. And, and it certainly doesn't lead to better public safety in our country. And that's what I think politicians have got to figure out is if we have to choose between public safety and supporting law enforcement and Uh, social justice. We've already lost. We have to have both in our communities. And yeah, that's more complicated. It doesn't fit nicely in some, you know, political talking point bucket. But as it turns out, these things are complicated. And uh, we've got to give the complicated contradiction the respect that it deserves if we really want to support our constituents,
0: item number three of total agreement. You know, I was trying to figure out how would I say that better, Angie, and I don't know that I, I don't know that I could. It it really uh, is so important, and I, I probably, you know, I may prioritize uh, the various things that you listed differently, but they're all on the list, nonetheless, and uh, the support that Angie Craig has given to our police departments, our police forces, our law enforcement generally uh, has been just very strong and and she can be uh, proud of that while still having the compassionate understanding of the great authority that police officers are given and their responsibility to meet that authority. Uh, You may know out there that I actually had I've had one police excessive force case in my legal career. It ended up after a jury verdict of well in excess of a million dollars and it resulted uh it, at the time it was the largest punitive damage award in Minnesota uh against a police department and uh it was before video and you know recording and and so I understand those social justice issues. My client was an African-American man, and uh, it, it really uh, it was an experience for me that opened my eyes uh, even wider than they already were. Let's shift a bit to safety and security, uh, and I would say for our national government, the number one priority, uh, safety and security of the American people. Uh, from you know, foreign and uh, as well as domestic invaders, but or, or uh, assailants. the The Ukrainian war, China now in the Middle East brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran, very dangerous. The issues that we face, are uh, our, our our number one ally in the Middle East, Israel, faces. Touch on those three things: Ukraine, what we're seeing China do in the Middle East, and the Iranian threat, and then our relationship with Israel.
1: Well, let me let me start with uh, just the Ukraine war. Um, I've been a strong supporter uh, of of the U.S. support for the Ukraine, and I know that's become a bit of a, a you know a a disagreement in some parts of the Republican Party. But think about you know, this was sovereign nation being attacked by a bad actor, an authoritarian government. This is not someone who wants to see the NATO alliance survive. This is someone who wants to see Russia back to its superpower self. And where would it stop if Ukraine is unsuccessful? And I just, you know, I mean, Andy, we got in a room um, when this first broke out. You know, nearly a year or, or just over a year ago now, and you know, we thought it was going to be, I mean, we were told it was going to be over in three to five days. You know, Russia would just crush the Ukraine. And the courage to stand up, I fully support America's uh, continued humanitarian and military support. You know, you can get into an argument over exactly what equipment and, you know, um, President Zelensky is always going to ask for more, right? Uh, That's just, uh, that's his job, right? Um, But I don't think we can allow Uh, Russia uh, to be successful here because it has so many implications. You mentioned China, China brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia. But my thought in Ukraine goes to what message does it send to China and Taiwan if America and its allies, its NATO allies, are not strong in this region? Um, You know, the implementation of a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran, look, I'm incredibly concerned with that partnership. We know Iran is is not a good actor. We know that uh, Iran and the Middle East is a destabilizing force to our ally, uh, ally Israel. It's its uh, number one threat uh, and concern. And so, you know, I, I won't support any uh, policies that are deferential to Iran or to China or to our foreign adversaries. And, you know, I oppose American policies that you know, well, we get the short end of the deal or our ally Israel gets the short end of the deal on route. I I continue to be very concerned uh, with Iran in the region. And, um, you know, I I think this is really, really dangerous territory.
0: Well, it it, uh, it's item number four that we agree on for sure. Uh, No question about it. You know, Ukraine, uh, it is a sovereign country being attacked by another and it is the attacking country that is an enemy of the United States. It can't be underscored more. Certainly, uh, I do not want to be hypocritical, and I am not being hypocritical when I say that any attack on the sovereign state, of the Jewish state of Israel, uh, similarly uh, should be defended and imposed by the United States vociferously whether it be by Palestinians, but much more so uh, by Iran, or you remember a couple of decades ago by Iraq launching Scud missiles into uh, the state of Israel. Israel still suffers from missile attacks that we don't even read about here in the United States. They don't even bother covering it anymore, but it terrorizes uh, the, the citizens of the state of Israel on a regular basis, as Angie Craig is very aware of. I will tell you straight out, very few in Congress more supportive of the Jewish state of Israel than Second District Congresswoman and our guest today, Angie Craig. Proud to have her representing the Second Congressional District. We're going to be back after this short break for our final segment. We're going to talk a little free speech and censorship. Where are the Dems and the Republicans on this foundational issue here in the United States? It'll be interesting. So make sure to stay with us. In the meantime, go to ParkerDK.com, premier law firm downtown Minneapolis. Parker Daniels Keyboard Wise Council winning results. We'll be right back. We're back, and it's the Victory Hour. We're talking to 2nd District Congresswoman Angie Craig, one of my uh, favorite guests here on the Victory Hour, and once again, during the show today, some interesting comments and discussion. Angie, uh, before we get into censorship and kind of an issue that I don't know, during my adult lifetime, I don't recall it being the kind of issue that it is now. Free speech was always the watchword of uh, liberty and freedom here in this country. But before we get to that point, I wanted to ask you, do you think that trillions in government spending affected inflation in this country?
1: Well, you know, what's really interesting, Andy, to me is uh, when I stand on the House floor, my Republican colleagues like to forget, like in a hurry, that 25 percent of our nation's debt was actually incurred during President Trump's administration. So it's stunning to me. Let's just all remember $7.7 trillion. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act was part of that. And then the COVID spending that I partially uh, voted for, that was in it too. So I do think that we have a complicated economy right now. One of the lowest unemployment rates in the history of this country. Employers keep adding jobs. Their problem is they can't find workers. Inflation is now at 6%, I think was the last report this week. It's ticked down just a little bit. Um, but rising interest rates are now starting to, co- to, to cause other issues, right? So some, a bank made a bad bet on some of that, Silicon Valley Bank, and now we're seeing the banking sector disrupted. None of this is shocking to me, Andy. I've been saying from the start, when COVID began in March of 2020, that this was going to be like playing whack-a-mole. That game when I took our four boys to Chuck E. Cheese, thank God those days are over. Well, we might be doing it with the grandson soon.
0: <laughs> Beautiful.
1: You know, that, that it is going to be playing whack-a-mole uh, to, to get ourselves out of that, uh, out of this. And the truth is, and again, March of 2020, all of 2020, President Trump was in office, right? That we made some good decisions. We made some wrong decisions, but that it, we were not going to be perfect. And, and I'm sure that history will show we probably weren't perfect either in 2021. So the way this plays out on the House floor is my colleagues blame Biden, you know, Democrats blame Trump. I was there for a portion of both of those administrations. And I think I would say that, you know, we've been playing whack-a-mole and we probably are doing better than most nations when it comes to the overall management, of COVID and post-COVID society?
0: Well, this is one area that, you know, folks who listen uh, to the Victory Hour, as many do on a fairly regular uh, basis, uh, know my judgment on uh, that. uh, I think the first expenditure related to COVID uh, was one that had to be taken. And even if it was a mistake, it was such an uh, unknown Area of uh, life that we were in when the pandemic hit. Uh, n- nobody knew how to respond or deal with it. But the repeated s- expenditure, even to the point of the infrastructure bill, which some say isn't an infrastructure bill, others say it definitely is. The the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, with which many say is not an inflation and reduction act. These sorts of things, um, uh, you know, didn't help inflation and. Uh, Inflation, the numbers that I've seen when Trump left office was at a very low, around 2% uh, rate, and it's now uh, much higher, depending on how you count it. Uh, uh, I flipped on Sean Hannity last night or the night before, and he claimed it was 9.1% now I I know that those numbers get uh reflected <laughs> differently.
1: Yeah, yeah, but does Sean Hannity actually believe that it's 9% or is that Yeah, who
0: knows? Yeah, who knows who, what uh, what Sean believes. You generally know what Tucker believes, but Sean it's a little bit un, uh, less clear. In any event, uh you know, I I'm an economics major. I remember a little bit of it from way back when <laughs> And uh, when I was taught that, I I just learned that heavy government spending is is an inflationary pressure. It doesn't mean you're going to have but it's an inflationary pressure. And I I I just think it's something that we have to be uh, very careful of.
1: And and Andy, you know, I I don't want to defend the framework too much here because uh, you probably know that I'm one of two Democrats in the country who has praised Biden to say, look, I I think he's done some good things, uh, but I wish he wouldn't run again. I'm ready for the next generation of leadership. You know, uh, the only two of us willing to say that out loud. Um, But, uh, you know, as I think about the framework for his budget, and I realize it's a framework, you know, it's every president's budget is sort of dead on arrival if we're being honest about it. But the framework that he put forward of, you know, reducing deficits and debt over a 10 year period of time philosophically is one that I agree with. Now, how he goes about it entirely, uh, I don't agree with. Right. So
0: I agree with those comments.
1: I, I don't want. Uh, corporate tax rates for my small businesses, which are 93% of the businesses in this congressional district to go back up to 20 or to go to 28%, which right. is what's in this budget. I have a bill that would actually reduce them from 21 to 18%. Yeah. A Democrat introduced a bill to reduce taxes. You should like, you know, write that down. That's
0: why Angie Craig is one of our favorites, <laughs> you know, Angie. So, but, but
1: philosophically, I think we can agree that we went through this period of, Spending that was you know you can quibble about whether all of it was necessary, but you know again you were you were you know PPP program saved a whole lot of small businesses, yeah I supported it twice um, but philosophically, I do think we've got to get back to another level of fiscal responsibility.
0: Well, there is a partial agreement there, and I will say this. Uh, While Angie Craig says she wishes Joe Biden doesn't run again, I have said on this show, I wish uh, and hope Donald Trump doesn't run again. So, you know, I just think this country can do better. And, And when we're talking about the single person holding the most important office anywhere in the world, I think we can do better, can't we? And you know, let's uh, let's not be satisfied uh, with with either one of them. Uh, So again, and I agree on that point quickly. uh, as We only got about a minute left. uh, What about censorship? What's your view on it? Uh, Shouldn't there be wide open debate in the public square?
1: Well, there should be, which is what confuses me about all these laws coming out from these Republican governors. Right. I mean, book banning everywhere, you know, banning what you don't like in schools. You know, Minnesota, you know, it's interesting. And I, you know, I might have uh, scooped you on uh, heard you on some of your uh, conversation with with Brad Finstad. You know, it's, it's interesting to me because in Minnesota, in our schools, a parent, if you disagree with what's being taught, you can actually remove your child from that particular lesson. You know, that is about as. Parents' rights as you get in our nation. So if you're going to talk about censorship, right, and then in the next uh, conversation talk about wokeness and, you know, banning books, that to
0: me. No, I, uh, we agree again. We agree, right, we agree again
1: sense that. It needs to be
0: it. it needs to be wide open In the public square and let people make yeah. up Their mind even if you, you, you don't Like it country, no matter what side you're government. on That's and Angie Craig Second district it. congresswoman From the state of Minnesota And what a great discussion today Angie I really enjoyed it and we'll have you on Again for sure uh, Continue with the great work That you're doing in the second district Join us next week when Dr. Scott Jensen will be with us to talk about COVID 19 and censorship in that area